Hello everyone and welcome to another horrific chat. Uh, tonight we're joined by Taylor S. Deuce, a filmmaker uh, who's currently working on this project, the project, uh, The Path of Shadows. Uh, he does not just independent film, but documentaries and various other things. Very uh, active man in the sort of filmmaking world. Taylor, evening and welcome to you. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Colin? Ah, grand. Flipping. Actually, had a day off. We were just talking before we went live. There. Yeah. Actually, had a day <laughs> off. So I'm like loving it. I'm like, I'm being lazy and fat and yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't think as artists we give ourselves enough day days off. Like I am notorious for people being like, "Oh, what are you doing the weekend?" And I'm like, "What? What's a weekend?" Like, you know, it's funny though because you know it's that same thing though. If we don't do the work, who's going to do it? So that's why I think I'm always pushing is it's it's I live in that world of like, oh, I want to make something happen. I'm not just going to sit around all day and wait for somebody to give me an opportunity. I'm going to be yes. fighting 24-7 to make it happen. It's never going to happen. I, I feel guilty if I'm not working on this. Like the amount of admin in the background is disgusting. And a lot of people just see the front face and camera bit. And yep. like, oh, well, that's all you do. And it's like, nah, 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 nah. You gotta plan things out. You gotta talk to people. You gotta uh you gotta do research. You, you know, I mean you gotta be thinking ahead like a month at least. Oh yeah, no, and that's the thing about producing that people just you know, especially with the movie world, is people see the person in front of the camera and doesn't they don't realize there's an army of people behind the camera. You know, I never wanted to be a producer, but, you know, it goes back to that same thing of I wanted to make movies and I wasn't going to just sit around and wait for people to give me an opportunity because I hadn't proved myself. So I had to kind of become a producer and very quickly realized it was months of getting things ready so you can go in for a day or two to shoot a short film. Yeah, but that's why it only lasts a day or two, because you've got you to gotta get it all into place. Um that's the thing. That title, producer, I think it's the most misunderstood title in the creative world. People don't get it. Oh, yeah. And it's across the board. No, it's not just film, but uh, podcasting, music, TV. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that idea of producer, that's, and that's the thing that brings it all together. No, and it's a vital role, but it's the least glamorous Right. It's, and it's usually those people that don't want to have that side of being the face of something, they're not the person that's sitting there wanting to be up for it, getting all the attention. They love putting those puzzle pieces together to make whatever is as good as it can be, but maybe they don't want to be the face of the thing. I'm the face of this thing because of no real choice. <laughs> um, I've also got my buddy Karen, but I can only get him like once or twice a month, you know, because of his uh -huh. schedule. But I'd be happily if I could get somebody good looking um, with char charisma to do this stuff and I just sit in the background. I'd be happy. Oh, don't, worry, but don't paint yourself so short, Colin. Come on. <laughs> it's a British uh, self-depreciation humor, but just uh, it's all part of the fun. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Stepping in front of this thing, it's good. It's a cathartic thing when you're putting your thoughts out there, when you're asking questions, meeting people like yourself and uh, just talking about things. It's great. But under no circumstances do I think I'm a star or yeah. have any interest in being one, if that makes sense. Right. And I've had this conversation yes. many times with folks. Oh, it's so fascinating, the world we come up in, because when I was a kid, like, being, you know, a quote-unquote celebrity wasn't really a job. It was just a thing that kind of happened to occasionally to people. 
And now you've got this generation where it's, you know, young kids are like, oh, I want to be famous when I grow up. And that's like an actual job now is just being famous for existing in the world. Yeah, and you can kind of see the rot, you know, that's happened because of it, because there's no actual creativity. Um, one of my concerns is that Spice is theater, modern, like, movie-making, like, most folk of it. You see it in uh, books as well. People aren't creative anymore. They're just rinse and repeating, you know, the same old tropes. They think they throw yeah. a few buzzwords in that's popular at the moment, and, cut, and that makes it long-standing, so... I have a genuine concern that art is coming to a standstill. And that's the death of any society. When well, it's, it's, art and it's creativity ends. It, it's, it's kind of difficult, though, because it's, it is rinse and repeat. But, like, you know, I, I'm speaking from the film world because that's where I come from and have mm-hmm. the most experience. Is it's rinse and repeat because that's the stuff the studios will buy. And they know they're not really taking the gamble on things. So it's like, you can come in with this amazing out-of-the-box idea that's like, oh, wow, we've never seen anything like this. We don't know if anyone's going to buy it. We don't know if we can make money on it. We don't want to take a risk. So can you just give us that thing that's worked a hundred times before? But then that's, that's why in the mainstream media, like Hollywood, as I have, Obviously, if I find Hollywood aboard, the sooner it implodes on itself and dies, the better. You know, yeah. that's the official stance. Um, because it's independent creators are going to pave the light, you know, for new ideas. Um, but they're they're not even thinking what people... They don't know what people want. They're just the corporate... You know what I mean? It's the, it's the fast food chain. I've always, I've always equated the two. It's the same burger, same fries... Yeah, they might paint the box a little, and the toy might be a different shape of plastic, but mm-hmm. it's the same crap, day in day out. And you don't remember it. You go to a fast food chain. You don't. It's not an experience. Yeah, but yeah, you no go one's going to McDonald's and being like, "Oh, like, you know what? McDonald's is the best hamburger I've ever had in my entire life." No, but if you go to and then like a, a mom and pop sort of thing, and they've got their own. I mean, they make their own patties and mm-hmm. they, they throw their own spices. They've got their own mix. And you have that experience and you're welcome when you come in the door and you're not hated upon and people are serving you with genuine enthusiasm because they've got direct line to the customer. And that's something you go away with and you're like, oh, remember that those people, I'll go back there again. I'll tell my friends. Yeah. Do you ever go um, to, your, oh, I'll, I'll go to the latest burger joint or, you know, generic thing. You don't? Uh, that's that's the joy of it too. Is it's less about the food in that case than the experience. You know, I think that's what's really lacking now is that everybody's wanting to watch things on their phones or at home. And we're lacking that experience of like going to the theater and having that communal experience as a group too. Yeah, uh, especially over the last couple of years with things going on, it's been you know cinemas basically kicked in the knackers. But I was at uh, Insidious, the Red Door, a couple of weeks ago there. And it's the first time in a while, actually, it was a full, full showing. Every, you know, oh, I mean, yeah. the seats were full. And uh, obviously, they did a review, but you know, I mean, there was silence through some of the real tense parts and people reacting. And I just remember sitting back going, this is what it's about. Sure, not experience with others, actually, uh, you know, partaking in the, you know, not just watching the thing, but you're getting ready, you're going out, you're buying your snacks, you've got your friends, you're, you're making those arrangements. Oh, yeah. That's living. 
Yeah, that's what I love about film festivals, especially like horror festivals, is mm-hmm. going to those like short film screenings and the, the movie screenings of those because you are with an audience of people that want to see this. It's not just whatever's like the new release at the cinema. It's we are fans of the genre. We want to see what you're bringing. And they pay so much respect to it. And it's that same thing of like, when it's the tense moments, it's just you could drop a pin and hear it fall because everybody's so there. And they're always the first ones to react the biggest, like when the big kill comes and mm-hmm. it's like people screaming and yelling. It's like, oh, that's the stuff that I just live for. I love that stuff. Yeah, and people need to be reminded of that. I think um, festivals, I think independent, um, unfortunately people are still lockstep. If, it does, if they don't get permission from the corporates, they can't exist. And that's something uh, I just totally disagree with. Yeah. And it's weird because it gets some independent creators in there. They've drunk the Kool-Aid and they're like all about that. And they're like, hold on, you're you're actually disadvantaging yourself. If you're an independent creator and you're wanting recognition from Hollywood, for example, like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, and that's, that's kind of the interesting part <coughs> of the world we're living in now, the internet. Like, I think YouTube has really opened up the doors to this whole new world where people can be free to express themselves and not have that gatekeeper. But, you know, I've been saying for years, I'm like, a company's going to come out that does essentially YouTube for movies, like full feature films. And that is going to scare the, uh, the studios so bad because they're going to be like, wait, you can just put up any kind of movie that we are not like willing to or too afraid to. And, show there's a viable audience for these things like well they're already afraid um actually i've got a stream coming up on uh is it the 12th yeah the 12th we're going to talk about censorship of horror oh cool the social media already because we are this genre they're embarrassed by and they're also envious of yes still like you watch every other genre crashing and burning right now and I'll use like uh, Insidious. It's one of those people love or hate the franchise or don't understand. Oh yeah, within the horror, that's fair enough. But still, you have hundred million dollar movies tanking at the box stuff office, and Insidious comes out at like fourteen million and makes his money back in one day. Yeah, that's success. Well, that's the funny thing about the the genre that it's always been that way. Is it's. Yeah. It's that that most looked down upon, like they'll put, you know, hundreds of million dollars into an action movie or a comedy and and they're like, okay, like whatever. But you know, it's a big comedy. Everybody'll love it. They're like, we'll make a horror. We won't give you any money for it. We won't give you the proper funding to make it right. And then we'll make a hundred of them though, because we know they're gonna make money because there's a built-in audience. And it's like so we're looked down upon, but you always want more of our product because you know you're going to make a profit on it. What was it that Cameron says? It's the red-headed stepchild. They're, they hate it, but they also... It's the thing that's kept the cinema doors open, for example, all for yep. the last... As the cinema has declined and branches are shutting down and getting into receivership, horror movies are the ones that still fill seats. Yep. And they hate it. They actually hate it. Oh, they hate... Oh, yeah. No, absolutely hate it. Like, I have a lot of friends that work in the genre, and they're just like... It's so funny to go into these meetings with people and they're just like, oh, we love like what you do. Will you do it for half as much? It's like, but what, huh? <laughs> like, 
Oh, but that's the way of the world. But that, once again, this is where we need to pe bring people like yourself to the forefront. There's another option. Leave that alone. For what you pay in a coffee shop or a fast mm -hmm. food chain, you can support an independent creator. It's not hard. Exactly. You're, not, you're not having to fork out hundreds and hundreds. It's For that same price, you can support an independent movie and actually have direct line of sight with the creator, which is what's missing in the corporate world because there's so many yeah. lures between the creator and sometimes when you think of Hollywood actors, maybe they shouldn't have direct with the audience. <laughs> the worst thing right. they can do is open their mouths because they, they show what sort of people they are. No, and that's, that's one of those right, right? things. I, I love the independent world because it harkens back to old Hollywood when they would have the roadshow approach where you know, movies weren't coming out across the country and across the world all in one day. It was, we're going to start at one end of the country and the cast and the like filmmakers are going to travel with it from city to city and show it like one or two nights. And then it's going to like slowly roll out that way. And, you know, that's one thing I love about the independent world is that the filmmakers can do stuff like this and be one-on-one -on -one with the audience be like, what do you want to see? What do you want to hear from us? What, about the genre do you feel is broken that you're not seeing enough of or want to see more of yeah and that's uh it's internal because what might be the the thing today what people are disenfranchised with could be a thing they want in five years time because it's so yeah. cyclical you know it's not and that's the problem with the corporates they think everything should be static because then they can put it in the neat little boxes and uh all the grifters can just grift away not doing very much work <laughs> that's the problem when things get bigger then you get the grifter element oh yeah and you don't do very much and uh yeah it just uh, i laugh at it but it's just annoying how many people still think that is the way mm -hmm. and that's what i want to try and do here change people's minds yeah that's that's the joy of it is like any kind of art there is no right way there's the way that's been done before and kind of an established system but it doesn't mean it's any more right than a completely new off the wall way that no one's ever heard or seen before. Like totally. Um, in fact, your latest endeavor. Um, nice segue. Do you see? That? I was almost like it was scripted. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Path of Shadows, a werewolf movie. Mm -hmm. How many werewolf movies are there? I mean, it's. <laughs> so I what... mean that's. Oh, go ahead. So sorry. What are you bringing to the table with this one? So it's it's kind of one of those. I'm so. I've been trying to figure out how to describe this to people because it's not a traditional werewolf movie. Uh, to me, the werewolf movie, like 1982, you get The Howling and American Werewolf in London within a couple of months of each other. And I'm like, so we reached the pinnacle of werewolves. Like, we're never going to do better than this. So it's always just kind of trying to see what we could do and bring our own flavor to things. And so within The Path of Shadows, I tried to do it more as kind of a meditation on PTSD and trauma with the wrappings of a werewolf movie. So the basic premise is it's about this girl and her friend. They're going to stay at a cabin in the woods. You know, it's set, set up is very, yeah. <laughs> I want to set it up, especially for genre fans where I'm like, I want you to see everything that's coming and then I'm just going to flip it on its head at the last second. So, you know, a couple of friends going up to a cabin in the woods. You're like, okay, 
girls going up to a cabin in the woods, a lone werewolf movie. I see where this is going. Cool. All of a sudden, they're attacked from out of nowhere by just a crazy hunter guy. And it turns into this whole cat and mouse between this hunter and the final girl. And at the last minute, a werewolf comes in and attacks the hunter and essentially saves her life. And I'm like, all right, there is your traditional horror movie. Like the final girl got away, the monster is left behind. That's the first 10 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. So now let's see where the rest of the movie, like dealing with what happens to a person after dealing with this crazy supernatural event. And how do you step into the world and say, hey, my friend and I were attacked by a monster. Like who's going to believe you? Which is for that's actually something that doesn't really get tackled too much. Um, something I want to clarify. I, I probably know the answer myself, but just for the audience's sake, um, yeah. Path of the Shadows. It's not a sequel to Night Moves. It's Night Moves, the alternate title. Yeah, it was originally called Night Moves, mm-hmm. uh, based on the old Bob Seger song. I just I love that song, and for some reason it got stuck in my head. And I'm like, oh, I like I want to keep this whole vibe of. You know, working on the night moves and seeing the night move. And I was like, oh, that's great. And then one of my producers was just like, you know, when we make this movie, that song's going to cost the entire budget of the film. And I was like, maybe we should come up with a different title. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we ended up kind of switching gears on title about midway through the stream. Yeah, um, one of our narrated segments, we we do uh, narrated fiction for independent authors, you know, a section of the book, yeah, yeah, and the amount of trouble I got in for like a seven second segment of a Frank Sinatra song, but it was all mm-hmm. integral to the story, it wasn't just me throwing it in. And the amount of back and forth, the copyright strikes, and that was just unreal, yeah. And this yeah, is, no. it should be technically in public domain by now, but there's these third party lawyers that just looking for a target. Oh, I've got some lawyer stories for you. (laughs) Trying to make negotiations with some of these big companies about like, oh, we want to like do a cover of this song, like have our own artists record their own version of this song. It's like, yeah, no, or it's going to cost you $30,000 to use five seconds of it. And like, no, we don't don't have $30,000 for this two seconds of a song. You're almost better. Uh, I know you're setting yourself up, but you're almost better asking for forgiveness rather than permission. And those oh, cases, yeah. the minute you get those morons involved, they're just um, they're just out for blood. Yeah. And once again, that's where the gatekeeping comes in. They they want to price you out of being able to do anything. But you know, the nice part of that is it kind of makes you just pivot and through originally wanting to use like very popular, well-known songs, and then being turned down from that it made me kind of turn my attention. I started looking at TikTok and Instagram and finding bands that are like me or just indie, like don't have a huge following and just reaching out to them and being like, Hey, we're making this movie. We'd love to collaborate with you. We'd love to get your music out there for our movie. And it's been making these amazing just relationships with these small independent music arts. But honestly, I'm like, I would, yeah, and I'm just like, I would rather build the community than give millionaires a couple more hundred thousand dollars. So, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know if no, why not? Just 
And when people come together, I think with something with genuine love and just wanting to actually create art, you get a better product. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I always say, like horror fans are the most forgiving because they understand budgetary constraints and they understand that as a horror creator, you're up against it. Yeah, like from day one, you have to work twice to three times as hard to get half the results as mainstream slop that's just thrown out, you know, out there and people just gobble it up. Oh, yeah. That's what I love most about the genre fans is, you know, they'll, they'll be the first in line to see the new Fast or the Furious movie, but criticize every moment of it because they understand it's like, oh, they have half a billion dollars to make this movie. Why is it not better? But then go see a sleepaway camp and be like, oh, yeah, this movie's incredible. They took two nickels rubbed together and made it's not great, but you can feel the genuine love and affection that went into making this kind of awful movie. But we love them. Yeah, but that's um for my slag up like one of the <laughs> last live stream. Um there's one of the film directors we uh, we have banter with quite a bit, uh, Calvin of uh, 7th Street, and we slagged uh -huh. this movie. His first movie we watched, we abused. I mean, we slagged it off. <laughs> <laughs> and he just said, "Oh yes, give us more." And then eventually we had him on the show. <laughs> just every time it's like, um, "Next movie comes out, yeah, we're reviewing, we're banning it, we're reviewing it, we're slagging it off." And he's lapping it up and like, "Here's the next one, do it again." <laughs> but the banter and the the actual love, you know, you can get that in the flipping mainstream. Uh, you know, those grey, boring people, you wouldn't get that at yeah. all. No, no, and that's. That's why I'm. Uh, I have gradually like uh, the fastest point in the series. I I think I watched the first one. That was it. Yeah, I you, think you it was one. One that went down a hill in Japan, wasn't her? I think I watched about three minutes of that. I went, nah, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, like action movies bore the hell out of me. Right. Sci-fi is out the window. I gave up on comic book stuff. You know, just watch. I've just watched everything stagnate, and I'm just bored. But horror still has that vibrancy about it that's why i'm staying with this genre because i can watch different horror movie every week and get something different you know it's not well, just a slasher and, it's and not horror's, just a feature, feature yeah horror is that genre that's still allowed to experiment and have fun like that's what i love about the blumhouse model is that blumhouse just goes hey we're not going to give you a ton of money but we're also not going to interfere whatsoever so, like, you tell your story the way you want to do it and have a good time. If it works, cool. If not, we're not at that much money. We'll make it up in the next one. Mm -hmm. That's fair enough. And that was interesting because, um, obviously, we teamed up with Atomic uh, Monster. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first uh, production was Megan. Yep. And that was, uh, you know, I mean, that was a cool movie. It was self-aware. And I'm like, well, if they're not going to interfere with their own flavors and if this is what, what they're going to do when they come together i'm all down right and they still have that bit of um like for mainstream companies like they still have that wee bit of connection with the fans and love the genre so why not that's the only thing i find with um like james wan is every movie looks the same he just uses the same color green yeah it. and i yeah. find that a wee bit frustrating because like, people can't tell the difference between The Conjuring and Insidious because, yeah, Patrick Wilson's the main lead, but three <laughs> different characters, but because he's exactly the same color green, they, they yeah, sort of that, burn into each other. That's my... That, 
that's where it gets to be so difficult as an artist because we do kind of stuck in that box of like oh this is my style this is what people expect from me and some filmmakers it's just really hard to step out of that and be like all right this one needed to look like this and have this specific look but i'm going to try something totally different with this other one and like yeah it might not be my style but like you know, I think it's people get afraid to step out of that box because they see what's working and they're like, this is what people expect from me. This is people like. And, you know, that's why with like Malignant, I thought he had such an opportunity to do something completely different. And he did story wise. I was like, this is so out of the box and great. But it's still, yeah, it had that same look as his other films. Yeah, I'm not seeing the PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> So good. I lost it. I'm like, so what good. the hell is this? I mean, when I started watching that, yeah. Put it in for me. I'm like, I can't take this seriously. Oh, yeah. When I started watching that, I was just like, what is this movie? Like, I do not understand it. I'm trying to follow along. And then, like, once it got to that point, I was like, oh, this is what this movie is. This is bananas. And I love it. I'm totally on board now. <laughs> uh, I don't laugh. I just that's one of the movies. Like I said, you just love picking apart. You're just like, what the hell are you doing, you lunatic? But hey, it's still 100 percent more entertaining than the latest sci-fi thing that's been thrown out, right? Flipping superhero nonsense, which is just boring as hell now. Oh yeah, no, I I'm such. It's hard because I was such a comic book fan growing up and. If you told me as a kid that we were going to get movies of Iron Man and Thor, the Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy, I'd be like, no, this is okay. This is never going to actually happen. Mm. And now it's just got to that point where, like, okay, can we just not for a minute? And like, can we just step <laughs> back? Step away. Uh, but the sludge pipe has the flow. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually an interesting question. Um, so, what was your entry point in the horror movies? What was your sort of first experience what do you what do you remember sort of oh yeah so you know it's funny because i feel like we've all got those like first horror movies that we got introduced to as a kid and a lot of us you know it's older siblings or you know going to a friend's house and like sneaking a movie at a sleepover mine was completely not that i grew up in uh utah which is a very religiously predominant state and state jesus cult yes um yeah my yeah. lived there for a couple years. <laughs> yeah i was luckily not a, ever mormon myself but being a part of the culture and being an outsider i was always it's it's one of those places where if you're an outsider already you are a super outsider so oh, i'm well aware yeah, the, the so, fake smell, but the nastiness underneath. Uh, oh yeah, shocking. oh yeah, yeah. There, there were honestly kids that like I wasn't allowed to play with, and it wasn't until years later my parents were like, "Oh yeah, their parents like forbid you playing together because we weren't Mormon, and like you just weren't allowed to play with them." It's like, oh, cool, that's very healthy, awesome. But <laughs> so <Yeah>. for <laughs> me, it was. My mom loved horror, but was so scared of watching it. She could read horror books all day, but was terrified to ever actually watch anything. So she would always sit me down and be like, all right, there's this movie that I wanted to see for years and years and years called Halloween. I want you to watch it first and then tell me if it's too scary for me. So here I look like eight years old 
Like, all right, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to watch it and watch this, make sure it's not too scary for mom to watch. Like, pop in the VHS and be like, just focused. And I'm like, this Michael Myers guy, he is pretty terrifying. Like, when I get done, I'd be like, okay, I think we're good. So then I did like watch Halloween again with my mom. So it's a lot of, here's a movie I want to watch. I'm too scared to watch it though. You, you, you go first. Yeah, if, uh, it's okay if it traumatized you. That's why I had you. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> How's you know, it that first Halloween movie? You know the scene where um, the boyfriend had the sheet over the head and he put the glasses on? It was Michael yeah, Myers. Yeah. For some reason, out of that movie franchise, that scene always won. Never mind anything else, but that particular scene, for some reason, stuck in my head, I think, because I always thought of the Boo Ghost. And, yeah. you know, that sort of brought the life. Yeah, no, that's. I, I still have vivid memories. Like I think one of the few, the first times that I was really, really scared and realized the like impact a movie could have on you emotionally was my dad was out of town for work and me and my mom were alone and it was the premiere of the It miniseries with Tim Curry. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, so I'm like eight years old, I think, when this comes out. So we go through the whole house, we turn off all the lights, we pop our popcorn, we sit down to watch it. And as soon as that scene happens where the scrapbook starts flipping open and the blood pours out, we ran through the house, turning off all the lights. We're but, like, and you're not, and you're not the wanted to be scared. I mean, the fact you're going through the ritual, it's the same as campfire stories, you know what I mean? You're setting oh, yourself yeah. up and you know you want to be scared. It's not like you don't want to be. It's yeah. part of the experience. Oh, yeah. No, it was, and that was the joy of it. It was so much fun being that scared of something that you knew could not affect you. You knew, like, sewer-dwelling monster clowns are not real, but still that, that but real visceral experience and that real fear that's running through you was so much fun. And so it's just been chasing that dragon ever since of getting that same feeling. But that, and that's the thing as a horror fan because you do, very quickly you don't get scared anymore, and you understand yeah. that. So, what is it you go looking for? Oh man, you know I am one of those people who I come from that Hitchcock school where it's like any idiot can do a jump scare. Like jump scares are easy. One of my favorite things Hitchcock talked about was suspense was if you show people sitting at a cafe just having a nice conversation. And all of a sudden, a bomb goes off underneath the table. Like, that's scary, but that's not suspenseful. He's mm -hmm. like, if you show someone planting a bomb under this table, and then two people come and sit down at this table, but you can watch the timer with, like, five minutes going, and you just know, like, get up. You have to move. You have to get out of there. You have less than five minutes. And, like, just watching, being helpless, that's suspense. I'm like... So for me, that's the thing I'm always looking for is I'm looking for that visceral gut feeling that just makes me uncomfortable. I want to yell at the screen and be like, get up, get out of there. Don't run that way. Run the other way. He's after you. Actually, talking of which, I watched your um, short story, uh, short movie, Lilith, earlier on. Yeah. Uh, it was on, on your YouTube channel. Um, bloody hell, it's been a while since I've actually seen proper character acting in a horror, in an independent horror movie. It's one of my complaints, actually, what I tell, because a lot of people forget, make characters. Yeah. And they rely on the effects and the gore, and then they forget about actually creating characters. Where you, in that movie, you've actually had, you know, 
priest and a parisher sitting together. First of all, they're in confession, then they're talking in an office. Like, there's no special effects in that. It's purely 100% character acting. Now, if the actors didn't live up to their job, it would just be flat and boring. Oh, for sure. But that level of, you know, nothing's happening. We're just describing events. And my first question, of course, was, well, who picks up a baby and doesn't report the recordings? <laughs> like, that was my first thing. Right, okay, you see, you see a random baby and you just go, yeah, I'm taking that home. <laughs> but for once, for once, somebody actually addresses one of the daft questions that I've got in my head. Most movies just gloss over that. But no. you actually make the whole thing. What do you mean you didn't call the authorities? That's the first thing you do. What's wrong with you? Well, blah, blah. No, no, no. Here's the phone. No, listen to me. And then the story unfolds. And then the whole horror comes into play. Um, I haven't seen that in the, and this isn't just because uh, you're here. Because if you see any of my reviews, I don't hold back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just a refreshing to actually see. Oh, here's characters. Here's here's people and they're playing with each other. Now I will say though, your green screen with the bridge was a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that was when we went. Oh, what the hell? No. <laughs> I mean, can't make that, everything. I was, I was actually invested for. 37 minutes yeah. able to tell a gripping story and I didn't feel like I was cheated spending my time you know that's that's uh and that didn't need a Hollywood level budget oh yeah no that, didn't was, that was made for... their actors you no, know I, I really I really appreciate it yeah we made Lilith for a little under three thousand dollars in two days so we were you know, I'm always so happy when people like think that it was so much bigger and more investment than it was because it's like that thing was so much just time. Yeah, but I'm and... just talking about people being invested in, and this is where I'm trying to get away from because people have this idea of I must have hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a movie. I must have all these resources. Yeah. And that's why they don't do it. Or the fall into like we've talked about. The known tropes, the patterns, the going to mm -hmm. oh, this is safe. But horror's never been safe. That's the whole point of the genre. Yeah. And if you're no. just prepared to step away for a bit and actually think of, I want to tell a story. And that's what I appreciate about you were telling a story. And it wasn't a yeah. overly complicated because I've seen people as well. That's one of my bugbears when they try to overcomplicate things and throw too many elements. Like, no, stick to the simple, stick to your linear line, stick to the simple premise of the story. And you can maybe throw in a bit of a twist or a turn, but if the minute you deviate from the essential part of the story, that's when you lose the audience. Mm -hmm. And I'm no clever person. I'm just a bloke that just has a big mouth that <laughs> loves movies. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to be, ooh, I'm an intellectual, you know, yeah. sucking the pipe, you know. Oh, this wasn't hard enough for me. I'm not one of them types. No, I just enjoy what I enjoy, and people either agree with me or they don't. You know, that's, that's perfectly fine. That's why we're all oh, individuals. Oh, for sure. No, and you know, that's the thing is I always come at things from character first. Like I can throw all the special effects and all the money and like get huge A-list actors. But if these people on screen don't feel like genuine people that are living an actual life, like what's the point? Like, you know, I look at something like The Exorcist. I think The Exorcist is so good and scares so many people. And it's not because of the special effects. Like the special effects are great, but it's like, at the end of the day, this is a mother-daughter story, as well as being a like loss of faith story. 
before it's anything else. And it's I like I was going to ask you about that with Path to Shadows. Did you take inspiration from Reagan? Because in the sequels, she deals with her trauma. Yeah, Is that one I of the inspirations then for Path of Shadows? I, I didn't intentionally, but I think probably subconsciously. Like, you know, if you, you grew up on such a healthy diet of movies and things. It was funny because it was when I got done with the initial first draft and, you know, I sent it off to a couple of friends to take a look at and read and be like, I think I've got something here. Like, what do you think? And, and the first thing one of my friends said was like, oh, this is like the howling, like, she gets attacked at the very beginning and is kind of dealing with the trauma and werewolves are like, did I just write the howling? <laughs> um, as long as it's not the howling three. Ah, no, no, no. We don't. It's not like what? that. Yeah, please, please reassure the audience it's not like that. <laughs> wait, wait, there's a howling three? I there's didn't think five even acknowledged that. <laughs> there's five howling movies? <laughs> three is... Oh. God, oh yeah, no. It hurts it's, your brain though. It's one of those, you know, you you feel your brain just sort of try to escape. Going, why are you doing this to me? And trying to detach yourself from your eyes, crawl out your ear. Because like, no. Yeah, we'll we'll forgive a lot in this genre, but we won't forgive the howling three ever. <laughs> oh yeah, the word chihuahua or whatever the hell it was. Oh my uh -huh. god. Oh, that was just abysmal. But anyway, moving along. <laughs> um. Yeah, I was also getting that. I think you've seen the Descent movies. Oh, yes. Big fan of the Descent. So I'm thinking the Descent 2. Yep, yep. Where you got your final girl, she's out, cross, and then she's got to go through it all over again. See, I oh, haven't yeah. even connected these dots until now. And it's like, oh, yeah, this guy. That's, that's why you need to talk big fat nerds like me. <laughs> I mean, if we can get compared to like movies like The Descent and The Howling, I'm fine with it though. Like, those you can level that, couldn't you? Those are some pretty good comparisons to have. <laughs> yeah, um, because there are movies that stick out in your mind because it doesn't necessarily. It takes a risk. It yeah. tells us, you know, what I mean, it tells a story. It doesn't fall into the same tropes. And yeah, even though the final girl survives, you know. Yeah, you love it, but that but it wasn't done in a way that was in fact you don't see her survive until the sequel. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the first one, you, it's all over, you know, it's just um but the story and the character, once again, there was characters, not just wooden planks. Yeah. And no, that's that's another that the descent is such a perfect example of that character thing, too, where it's like up until the monsters come, it's not like you're sitting there bored being like, oh, why will these people just not shut up? Like, you're so invested in the human story that when the monsters show up, it's like, but what about what's going on with these friends? <laughs> I want to know what's happening there, too. But now there's monsters? Yeah, and you're like, no, hold on. Don't kill them yet. I want to resolve this issue that they brought up in the first <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> Hey, monsters, can you just hang it's back like, for a like minute? I want to finish this conversation. But um, that's where the... Um, people love, obviously equate horror to the slasher genre, which is your popcorn flick. Yep. Where, yeah, it's fine to have your wooden planks because they're they're just targets that get knocked over. You know what I mean? That's their job. But you don't think it's more important to invest in the character because in that way, when they do get dispatched, you feel that kind of, oh, or... If you have four or five characters and you're invested in them all, each then death is shocking. Mm -hmm. Where it's down to, okay, plink, 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 plink. Now we'll focus on three. That's 20 minutes of the movie wasted. And it's so lazy and repetitive. Yeah. 
No, that's that's the worst. Is I I can deal with almost anything except for that repetitiveness where it's just like again, again, really again. We we can't just do anything else here. Cool. Okay. And it's not even about money. No. That's the thing. People once again they get fixated on money and how much things cost, but it's like no, writing a decent character is just a bit of time and effort. Yeah, exactly. And that, not being lazy and just going through the motions. That's just a better effort. You don't have to worry about the money until afterwards. Having having the right actors, is, I know people are. That's I think the hardest thing from a lot of film producers like yourself have spoken to is getting the right actors. A lot of people are on friends and family. Oh, yeah. Um, one guy on he just said he wants to make enough movie or money from his movie so he can pay for the actors' hotel room and they're not having to do it themselves this time. Yeah, and that's what you know hits me in the feels, so to speak. You know about independent creators like. A lot of people are just coming together for the love, so you forgive even the bad acting because you know people are they're helping a friend out mm-hmm. and they're only stepping in front of the screen. Like uh Calvin is a good example. His lighting guy is one of the characters that appeared about four times in his movies because <laughs> he needed somebody at that point, so he just stuck him in yep. the front and then he did it again and again. You know, and oh, I've, I've had to I've had to be in way too many of my own projects because it's like, all right, who do we have? Well, we have me because I'm here, so sure, I guess I'll do it. Uh, so it's not a Sylvester Stallone ego trip thing. No, oh, no, no. I would I would much rather stay behind the screen if I could never step in front of the camera again. It would be too soon. I always said that's what makes him uh, has ruined him as a having a. A long life or a reputation as a filmmaker because he couldn't stop self inserting. Yeah. His ego got in the way, and that's ego such a terrible thing. Oh, yeah. How no, do I, you, I, um, I'll get, I'll actually get around to the questions that I've, you know, put down here, but, um, how do you become aware of that and how do you battle against it? Oh, man. I think that's one of those things that's the hardest part is, you know, we, we work in this industry where, you have to both simultaneously say to people, I am the best at what I do. No one can do this better than me. No one can do like tell this story the way I can. No one can direct this movie the way I can. And then immediately, as soon as the door is closed, you go, I am a failure. I am not worth anything. How am I, how am I actually getting these opportunities? You know, I, I watched this documentary once about Steven Spielberg. And one of the things that struck me the most is he said, even to this day, he will step on set the first day and be like, when am I going to get fired? And they're going to realize I'm a complete fraud. And, you know, it's one of those things. I feel like ego is all, it's one of those things we have to have. Because you, this. you cannot be forward facing. Yeah. I'm guilty of myself. I have to be out there confident. I'm a good interviewer. I know I, I can make people comfortable. I'm the best at this. People want to come on to this show because I'm fantastic. And then once the camera's on, exactly. You know, it's a, it's a roller coaster. You never. Uh, it you never it is, it. and you know that's the thing is you you deal with enough people, and you start to really realize there's a lot of the people that outwardly seem like they have the biggest egos and are just like so full of themselves and just so like look at me. It all stems from insecurity. You know, it's that. As soon, like, it, it, it's kind of that thing of no one's going to love you until you love yourself. But mm-hmm. with these people, it's like no one's going to love me until I tell them how great I am and force them to praise it's me. Lack of ego, you know, that's a term, you know, it's 
actually lack of um, self-belief. Yeah. But do you have any warning signs so you don't become that guy? Oh, man. Have you ever thought about that? Because obviously with traction, you produce the goods. You're not a – because there's so many people out there are writers, are film directors, and they don't produce the goods. You are. You're making movies. You've got them on the go. They're actually going to happen. If somebody – links in the description, by the way, folks. Plug, plug, plug. (laughs) <laughs> um, but if somebody supports one of your movies, you're going to do it. Oh, yes, 100%. But with that traction, there's going to come a measure of success. But how do you balance yourself? How do you go, right, I don't want to become that person. What am I going to look out for? When well, do I, I need to get a grip of myself? I think it's one of those that, especially in the world of the internet, that we live in a time now where there's always going to be somebody that's more than happy to tell you how awful you are and how much you suck and should not be doing the things you're doing. Oh, let's tell us it all the time. It's brilliant. I know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's, it's about who you surround yourself with because I can surround myself with a million people that just tell me how great I am and how smart I am and, how everything I do is so good, but I choose to surround myself with people that are always pushing me and being like, no, this is good. This is undeniably like you did great with this, but you know, it could have been better. You know, it needs like X, Y, and Z that could have taken over this finish line and make it even better than it is now. And, you know, I have always been that person for other people who I'm like, no, I'm never going to just sit there and kiss your butt and tell you how good something is. I'm going to tell you like, what you did is incredible. You made something out of nothing. Now, when you do it again, how are you going to do it better? And I just try and surround myself with people like that so that I never get to the point of being like, yeah, no, what I do is great. And I can just rely on that. I just want people to be like, yeah, no, it's great but you still suck at this, this, and this, so do better next time, bud. Yeah, that's it. And I, I, I'm lucky I have friends that absolutely abuse me at every opportunity, so... Right? Anytime I, my head starts to swell, it's like, back down again. <laughs> back to reality. <laughs> back to reality. And I, I thank them for it, because that's... I would hate the... I would hate to, like, wake up in a year's time and be somebody completely different or detached from reality. That'd oh, yeah. awful. Oh, yeah. And you see it with the big stars. That's why many of them, like, leave the Earth early, you know, by their own devices, because I think the sudden realization of the fake life they lead, and then it doesn't matter how much money you have or fame or fortune, just if you don't have that grounding as a a person and a a love for your craft, you know, once that goes, I think you may as well not bother. Oh, and that's what it all comes down to. It's just that love and that passion for what you're doing. As soon as that's gone, like, what's left for you? So what does it made you decide to get into filmmaking? What what is it? Uh, was it always a vocation? Was it love of movies or was it just happenstance? You know, how did it come about? You know, it's funny because I don't know that there was really a, just like, there was never that moment where it was like, this is it. I want to become a filmmaker. Like, I, I kind of got lucky and grew up. My dad worked on film and commercials as like just a side project sometimes for friends and so from an early age, I was lucky enough to be on sets and like see working sets and kind of see how the, the sausage was made in that way. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I grew up an only child. And like I said before, like I grew up in a community that I was an outcast from. Mm-hmm. And 
for me, it really was just, I found movies to be this amazing, like, they, they were a way of escapism, but also very comforting. Like, I could pop in an adventure movie, and I could be in Treasure Island. I could pop in an outer space sci-fi movie, and I'm off in space on this adventure. Like, I could pop in a Western, and I'm having these crazy adventures with these cowboys, and seeing the deserts, and... And, you know, it was just one of those things where I realized the older I got, I was like, oh, people make these things. People tell these stories. And if I have the opportunity, because I just, I was always a storyteller from the time I was born. I just loved to entertain and tell stories and, and just get people emotionally invested in things. And, and once I kind of realized, it's like, oh, people just make these for a living. This is a job you can do. Mm-hmm. I got so excited. So like when I was, I think I was seven or eight, I asked for a video camera for my birth or for Christmas or my birthday, one of those. And my parents got me this and I just never put it down. And I was like making little claymation stop motion animation in my bedroom all night. I would like oh, wrangle I, my I, friends. I'd love to do that, but I, I would just need a garage where I didn't yeah. have to move stuff about. I don't just have to stay there for like 20 years. Like, um, uh, what's his face that made Mad God? Have you seen that? Uh, Phil Tippett, yeah, that's a Phil incredible. Tippett, yes. Holy moly, that was um, that's amazing to watch. Still don't understand the plot. I remember the first, no. I know the first bit, the guy's carrying the bomb, but after that, <laughs> yeah, that, that is pure madness. <laughs> and just that, that is a movie that really fits into that not a box that the studios would never let you make and just ran off of pure passion and love. Yeah, and that's that's somebody who you don't dedicate thirty years to do something and not get an immediate return if it wasn't a passion project. And you can oh, yeah. see it, you can see it in that movie when you watch it. Brilliant. But do you understand it? Is it you know an easy plot? No, it's <laughs> an art piece. You don't need to. No, because you appreciate what's going on and you take each segment as it is, and each segment tells its own little story mm-hmm. and it's pure visual, you know, stimuli. And why the hell not? Like the baby crown thing with the like the lips and the, the lipstick and the lips is crying like a baby going about and they're like whoa that's oh. nuts <laughs> oh man yeah so was that your sort of focus then creativity is that when you just decided early I want to find a way to do it or did you have to do something else in between you know it's funny because it was it was my sole focus for years and years and years. Like from like eight or nine, I was like, "This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want to make movies. I want to just." I was that weird kid sitting up all night with a typewriter writing scripts because this was before the internet was a thing, and I would find books in the library that were just. Trust me, I'm well well over that age. I remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was like kind of just teaching myself formatting and. Just try, I mean, I can't even imagine how horrible these scripts were, if you could even call them that. But yeah, it was just one of those things where I was just, I was solely focused on making movies. And, you know, I got to got, get some uh, production jobs when I was in high school and got some real onset, like real life experience. And then when I went off to college, I went to film, like the school with this film program that was just absolutely incredible. And, and it was my, it was really different because a lot of film schools, it's kind of set up as a two-year program where the first year is we're going to sit and watch movies and analyze movies and 
tell you the importance of movies. And then the second semester or the second year, we're going to kind of get you more involved in like how the process is done. And, and then if you keep going, it's like the next year, it's like you might pick up a camera. And that last year, it's like you might get to make your own projects. And I was like, okay. And the school I ended up going to was much more of like, you're never going to learn unless you're just doing. If you're here, you probably watched enough movies, you understand them, you've got the basics. So the first semester of this, this program is pre-production on an actual film. And then second semester, we're going to go out and shoot an actual film because that's the only way you're ever going to learn. And I was like, this is incredible. Like, my film school is we're going to make a movie. Yeah. Do you think colleges have ruined creativity? Because you see a lot of, um, you know, degree-holding creatives now. You know, they went to film school, they went to writing school. And yeah. then you see the bland, generic sludge gets thrown out there. And that's where the, all these people come from. Where, yeah. yes, I appreciate the learning. Like, there's a lot of technical aspects. Like, really, there should be a course for, okay, you want to be a podcaster. But it should focus on all the guff in the background yeah. that the stuff that you have to learn as you go along <clears throat> but you should already have the passion the creativity to make the thing it should be more vocation i think than academic the problem i think is a lot of these courses because they're created by academics and they obviously want to string out a four-year course to get the fees mm -hmm. that's what they're doing and then you're actually seeing the results in the work yeah no for me education is it's really in how you use the system. Like when I went back to school for the second time, it was with this mindset less of like, I want to sit and learn because I already had all the knowledge at this point. It was more of, I have access to equipment that I wouldn't be able to have access to otherwise. I have access to crew because they're students and like, I don't have to pay them because they're students. And but they're part of the project and then you help them with ours. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like we're getting a little bit of help from, from each other. And I would go to the professors day one and just be like, look, like I appreciate that you're trying to impart knowledge and stuff, but like I want to use this program very differently than the average student. And all the professors were like, no, this is incredible. Like you're kind of writing your own curriculum and we're behind this. We're very receptive. And so that was, you know, a lot of my my first shorts and things were just going and being like, hey, I want to rent this equipment for the weekend. Then I'd ask some fellow students like, hey, this weekend, like, let's just go shoot something. And, you know, it, it became that thing of like a lot of students are like, but this isn't a part of the curriculum. I'm not really going to learn from because the teacher hasn't told me I'm going to learn from it. But then you had oh those God. rebels who were just like, oh, no, yeah, this seems like fun. Like, let's just yeah. go make stuff. Why the hell would you get into a creative? And this is um, my bugbear with the corporate. They're not the most uncreative, unimaginative, bland people seem to be in charge of creative projects. Yeah. The worst combination of people you can imagine creatives and completely anti creatives. Yep. Somehow together and in charge of entertainment. That's why it's so shit. Oh, yeah. No. Being in French, but you know, it's just crap, rubbish, <laughs> and it's so destroying to watch. Um, but why wouldn't you go in with that passion initially? And it's just the technical aspects. You know, I, I don't understand. What well, does it draw these boring people? And it's something that's completely not them. You know, and that's, that's <laughs> if you look at the people that came out of that program, like the ones that are still working today in the industry are the ones that were like me. And like, no, mm -hmm. I want to just go make stuff and like have fun. And the ones that just like 
tried and got out and got real jobs were all the ones who were like, I need to fit in the box of what they're telling me to be. <clears throat> oh, God. I, I um, uh, what was a couple of years ago, because obviously everything was shut down. And yeah. And find myself and come back, come back home. And uh, I was looking at online courses. There's a lot of support in online courses. So I was looking at one that, you know, entrepreneurship, trying to, trying to make this, you know, in the business or use a business model to, not just throw money at it and not mm -hmm. understand, but because it was horror, I was essentially told, can you not do something else? You know, and I, because I had a dark sense of humor and I brought it across, you know, and my writer's page and stuff, it's like, why do you have to be like that? Right. Can you not just be something like bland? I'm like, you meant to just tell me the techniques. <clears throat> and then I realized that they didn't have the answers. Yeah. So they didn't actually, these, Experts who had got government funded to run a course hadn't a bloody clue. Yeah. So they didn't oh, know how to use um social media to market. They didn't know how to network with people. They didn't actually know. They were just people that were put in the positions because mommy and daddy had got them a, an introduction or through university, you know, mommy and daddy had, you know, knew somebody. They hadn't actually worked or created themselves. The most bland, boring people. And yet they're trying to suppose to inspire the next generation of and it's more like gatekeeping. They're they're basically telling you through the structure of the course, you can't do it because you're not me. Exactly. You can only do it if you're part of my gang and I approve of you. And I that opened my eyes, and that's what made me start looking at horror more. And actually, okay, why is this genre despised by the mainstream? I mean, proper thumb their nose down at it. And why is it when I talk to other people in the horror genre? Even though we're painted out to be bad people, I find the most engaging, interesting, and fun people that I ever meet well, in any of these nice. Uh, I mean, for me, I think it comes down to that same thing of it's gatekeepy, but like horror, although it's not gatekeepy at all, I love that horror is so <laughs> inclusive. We also are the first to recognize those that are just doing it as a bandwagon trend. And that's, you know, the film world, so many filmmakers, it's like, oh, my first movie is going to be a horror movie because I can until do, I do my real easy. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Until I get to do a real movie. And I'm like, that's the stuff that pisses me off more than anything. So I'm like, I'm not in the genre because it's the next step to doing like an epic, like period Shakespeare. I'm like, no, I want to do genre forever. It's the only thing that I love with every ounce of my soul is horror movies. Because, you know, to me, I always try to explain to people, because people will, like, meet me, and they're like, you're so happy, you're so nice. Like, how do you want to, like, deal with these horrible things? I'm like... Oh, my God, I know I'm Yeah. And I'm just like, no, to me, horror is a release. Like, you know, I heard Wes Craven talking about it once. He's like, everybody's scared of everything. Horror movies just let us let that fear go in a very healthy relatable way and i'm just like yeah because like i'm afraid i have always been afraid of everything around me the world is a terrifying place to me but for some reason horror just makes me comfortable that way because it's like that safe release of that fear yeah i'm um, actually one thing you brought up uh on your article because you're uh you're also a part-time movie critic journalist mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. write uh it's a horrornet.com uh, yeah, it was for a while. Yeah, um, but one thing you put there was you made an emphasis in bringing the fun back into horror. 
Yes. Is that something you've noticed? Because I know I have that's been missing from the genre in recent years. Oh, yeah. No. And, you know, it's one of those I, I appreciate this quote unquote elevated horror. I love movies like Hereditary and The Babadook. I love. I love these things. They are so good and they're okay, so powerful. Subgenres, you can watch a horror movie every day of the week and watch a different genre and get something different. Exactly, exactly. But but yeah, it's that, you know, and within the Path of Shadows, that's one thing that we're really focused on is I'm like, I want to go back to movies like The Lost Boys and one of my favorites, Waxwork and Gremlin. Oh, I reviewed that. That was so daft. Oh, yeah. Like, they just, like, I only reviewed they... that like a week and a half ago. I, I put it back. <laughs> I hadn't seen that in years. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, it's great. It's so great. But, you know, it's back when genre was like, it had its moments to be scary, but it had its moments of lighthearted levity where you're just laughing and allowed to have a good time. Because to me, it's that if I could laugh and let go of that and feel comfortable and then immediately get hit from behind with that scare, that scare is 10 times harder for me. It's like, oh my God, that like, because you put me in this comfortable, warm place, that scare is so much more impactful. But that was always the beauty of horror, especially sex and horror as well. You got that bit of titillation, like, oh yeah. And then like, oh, you know, <laughs> it's elevating the emotions and bringing you up and down. And um, Exactly, no exactly. Do you know what I think? Especially now the fun place are out in full force. Like, there you have a sense of humor. There you be a bit in the quirky or dark side. You must be a bland, gray, yeah, blob that fits in a box. You know, I that does my head on. No, that's and that's one thing that we are so proud of with the script and that the movie's gonna have is this real sense of humor to it so that when the scares come and the heavy moments come they're that much more impactful for people yeah and that's a, and that's what's all about and that's if, if people understand as well the the feeling behind it i think that's more important than budget and effects that actually everyone on board wants to make a movie um yeah perfect example i'll give across is the witch yes everybody was involved in that movie um robert eggers i don't think he gets enough appreciation but even the cast, like the scene, the ret- like I love watching, um, you know, the, the documentaries and which we don't see anymore, right? But you know, the behind the scenes that was always the thing about horror movies was the special effects team going, Oh, look at the bad stuff we're coming <laughs> up with, you know, the bad scientists. That's what I always equated to. Oh, oh, yeah, we made our own special blood and we're bah! and they just lose it. And that, uh, that's what, almost as much fun as the movie itself. Oh, but yeah, was, when they were talking about because they wanted to set it during a time when it was spring. So all the buds were coming out, and they, the cast and crew, walked the line, picking the buds off the trees to make it look stark for that particular scene. And there was no elevator of, oh, I'm the star in my trailer. Come and get me when I'm ready, please, for my shot. Everyone was just mucking in. Exactly. Uh, they're all living in the same hotel, and, you know, it was a family sort of unit. That just made me love that movie even more, because it came across on screen. Right. Yeah, there's that that mm-hmm. certain sense of family that comes from smaller movies where it's, you know, it's the intimacy where it's these big movies where you have 300 people working on set. And it's like, I'm never going to get to know all of these people. But something like that where it's like mm-hmm. you might have a dozen people between the cast and crew. Like you become a very tight-knit family very fast. And mm-hmm. it shows. Oh, yeah. Same. There's um, a lovely bunch of people, Acrostar Films. 
uh, Steve Herman and uh, Anne Myrna, you know, the main people behind it. But uh-huh. I've, been, I've talked to those guys a number of times now and been involved in their projects. And uh, they just, you know, I mean, they're all in it for the, for the love of the making. And you can just see how close knit they are. Uh, it's fantastic. And that's, I think that makes you appreciate the movies more when you kind of see that. I think the problem is with, uh, like, once, once it becomes mainstream, once it becomes corporate, that's gone. Yeah. Well, it, it becomes just about money at that point. It's mm-hmm. what sells, what do we know, what will fit the algorithm. Like, it's not about making art or worrying about what the audience actually cares about. It's, will this fit and check this box for us? And that's the, once you get down that road, it's like the health and safety um, person at work. You know, I mean, yeah. they're out just to, I need to make my quota so I can tell people off, tick, tick, and they're just looking for anything. Yep. And you're like, ugh. And it's just any morale of the HR person at work, you know, they're the two most toxic people you ever come across. Oh, yeah. Oh, you appear to be laughing. Are you just making inappropriate jokes that go against <laughs> the corporate standard? Right. You know, that's you know, one thing I like, miss is being away. able to be inappropriate, but like in a loving way. It's like to me, it always came down to that like, yeah, I'm making a bad joke, but like we have that relationship that I know if it's going to cross a line, you're going to be like, whoa, that's that's too far. And then I know to step back. Yeah. And once again, like you said, that's about having the right people around you. Yeah. Um, like I said, today obviously we've got the internet and social media. Um, we have the ability now to reach out, you know, create and put out there, unlike ever before. But there's actually more of a challenge because once again the corporates are like, Oh, that's a threat. We must stamp down. How have you found that the experience as an independent producer? Um, how much of a challenge is it to actually get your work out there and recognized and not just internet people, you know, there's people that live in forums and chat rooms, and that's all we do. But I mean, get actually in touch with paying customers who will support your project. How much wow. of a challenge is that? Oh my gosh, how much time do you have to hear all the challenges? Go ahead, that's <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's for me, it's been so incredibly hard because I didn't grow up in a social media generation. So social media to me still feels very foreign. And I just, I have been banging my head against the wall for years trying to get anybody to pay attention to anything I make because, you know, we pour our heart and souls and time and money into these things and we're so proud of them and we can take them out to film festivals, which is amazing. Like I, if you have film festivals near you, I encourage everyone, like, whether it's a horror festival or any kind of film festival, just to go support these little indie movies means the world to filmmakers because they're trying that, to... Oh, sorry. I don't think it's something that's out as much. It seems very elitist. I think people have that impression of very elitist. And, like, I'm just in the outskirts of London, and most of the fun, uh, film festivals are in like Kensington, all the upper class areas. Mm-hmm. God, no. I don't want to... Bu- don't want to hang out with them people, you know. Right. You know, the artsy fartsy sort of, oh, love it. You know, that's the anti sort of person. You know, I'm anti that. Mm-hmm. But that was leading on to a question I was trying to sort of touch on. Should film festivals become more prevalent, especially with cinema struggling what it is? Is that not the way forward? 
You know, I think so, because I grew up, you know, right down the road from Sundance, which is one of those giant premier film festivals. Mm-hmm. But even there, like, yes, you have a big contingency of the, you know, celebrity-led celebrities coming into town for this festival, but there are just as many of these little teeny independent non star driven movies at these big festivals that I think people should embrace those as well. But yeah, you know, festivals, I have seen some of the most absolutely jaw dropping, incredible filmmaking at, at festivals that I'm like, no one's ever going to see this. And that is such a shame because with like things like YouTube, everything is so accessible but unless you know how to find it, it's just going to be a lot of cat videos and like farting babies. It's like yeah, unusual. Um, even this podcast, like trying to like, I've had people come to me going, "I have tried to type in the horrific podcast, I can't find it because of the way yeah. that once again, the minute you put that word horror, that's it. Stamp, yeah. stamp, 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 stamp. The shadow ban you that you know, and that's something I want to cover on the you know, uh, the twelfth. I've got a quite a few. App designers, writers, filmmakers on, but we want to actually discuss this topic because it's something to shy away from. Um, but yeah, it's really, really hard unless you yeah. do something generic and bland, or you happen to catch that light in a bottle. God, it's oh. soul destroying sometimes. And that's what. It how is. do you how do you fight against it? That's the question. Because you have to keep going at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, for me, it's become a matter of making friends. Like I have just learned that like especially the horror community again is so inviting and warm that i will just reach out to these massive horror creators on like tiktok that have you know thousands upon millions of subscribers and just be like hey man i am trying to finance this tiny little independent feature film i don't know if we could like work out something where it's like if i add a perk to this thing that like you could like ask your followers if they're interested and 99% of the time, everybody is so kind and like, Oh yeah, let's like do a couple videos. We'll roll them out like this. And we'll talk about these things, talk about these aspects. And I'm like, and, and it's not like I'm paying for any of this stuff. This is all just genuinely, we love genre. Yeah. We want to support each other. We're all in this because you know, these creators I found have as much imposter syndrome as any of us. And they're just like, I don't know why millions of people give half a crap about what I'm saying, but they do. So I guess I could use this platform to try and help elevate other people. I think if you have any sort of sense of, um, what was it, normality about yourself or like self-appreciation, you're not going to be a big-headed egoist. Yeah. If you genuinely care about doing the best you can, you're always going to have that self-doubt. You know, that's that's part of it. Like, for sake, I'm still tearing myself apart over, like, earlier episodes of this or some of the early stories I wrote. I'm, like, going, mm-hmm. oh, was terrible. Why did I do that? But and part of me wants to go back to this block and rip it all up and start all over again. But it's like, no, I'm not moving forward then. If I just keep... Um, George Lucas is a perfect example. He had three ideas, and he just rehashed and rehashed and rehashed, and then look at the state of what he created. You know, he just... Yeah tied up in his own ego and couldn't couldn't move beyond that. So there's plenty of examples that are how not to behave. <laughs> that makes sense. But um it's all about how do you keep that check and balance? So um 
like not let that self doubt take over. Where, where's oh, that point that, of that, 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 is, little, that little demon on your shoulders going me, 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 and the wee angels uh, like getting quieter and quieter? And, you know, how, how do you? Um, that's that's the real trick of it is because I am Mr. Self Doubt and I have those moments, especially with this project being my first feature where, you know, everything else I've done up to this point has just been pretty much short films and short documentaries and things of that nature. But I have been the, you know, forerunner. I've been like hands on the mast, steering the ship, everything from top to bottom, like producing down to craft service has been pretty much me. And then like trying to wrangle people in. And with this project, it has been this breath of fresh air where I found people after, you know, full time doing this for almost 10 years now that I find people that are like, no, I want to push as hard as you. I want to push like the same amount of love and dedication into this project. And I'm just like, find myself at night. Be like, why? why? <laughs> is, is it that good? Do you see something I don't see? Like, I'm proud of it, but I've been working on this project now for almost six years to try and get it to the point where we're actually making it. I'm just like... Mm -hmm. Oh, there, there's other people that can care as much as I do and want to put in the hard work the way I do. And it's like, okay, and that's, a, so, that's an absolute jam because oh, yeah. people that will know their heads. Um, but even trying to get people to like, could you do a few button clicks and share things about, or head a like or put a comment? You know, mm -hmm. oh, that's too hard. Not can't do that. That's too much time. But they're, you know, you see them doing a hundred posts over nothing. <laughs> You're like, oh, come on! But to have that somebody yeah. that actually is prepared to give their time, like that is so amazing. And people, um, I don't think people appreciate that. Especially you said six years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, that's a lot of time. People think. I think people have that belief that oh, I just have an idea that comes out straight away. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, do the same writers. I think, oh, why haven't put a new book yet? And it's like, well, all oh, this has happened first <laughs> before it comes out. And it's oh, like, yeah. uh, no, that's, that's why I always love the idea of the overnight success because I'm just like, yeah, it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. Um, but the people need to believe that. Yeah. Is that what it is? The people need to believe that it can just happen. You know, why are people so afraid of knuckling down and putting in work? And I've seen them more and more, like with today's generation or culture you know yeah. and i don't think it's not even fair i think to say generation today's culture because i've seen 50 and 60 year old adult babies yeah right and it's disgusting you know who have the same you know you can understand an 18 19 year old going, blah, 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 but when you've got people in like 30s 40s 50s 60s acting like that too you're like come on just if you'd stop yapping knuckle down and do a bit of bloody work guess what half your problems would disappear well, I think it's that we we are now living this instantaneous world of the internet where it's, you know, you want to know information, you just grab your phone out of your pocket and type it into Google, and you have an answer within seconds. And so people yeah, are like, why, never why is it the 14 like kilobytes that? a second dial-up, did they? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's you right, I started off. Uh, you and I come from that generation of like, all right, if we want an answer to something, we have to wait for the answer to come to us. Or like, go and find an encyclopedia to get the answer and put in the work. And yeah, now people are just like, oh, it should be instantaneous. Why isn't it? Um, It makes me worry, though, for the future. It genuinely does, because um, like, yeah, you get, you get people that do the TikTok videos that 
platform won't even touch, but they do it on Instagram as well. And it's the same we dance videos, and I think that's all I have to do. But then the, the fallout favor, you know, the fad goes over, or they get that wee bit too old, and then somebody younger takes their spot, and then they go from like being megastars to nothing, and then they can't deal with it. Yep. Um, how do we address that? Yeah, I think that's the thing, is it's it's always been that way. Like the movie all about Eve is all about that. And that's an old movie from the 40s about mm-hmm. a movie star who's aging out, this young young woman that's taking her place in Hollywood. The difference is, again, it's that instantaneous now where before it was like, oh, over the course of these five, six years that her like movie stardom is starting to fade. She's making less movies. This younger woman is starting to come out. Now it's, okay, today you're really hot. By the afternoon, you're you're nothing. We've forgotten about you. So it's just the speed of things. Like it's mm-hmm. it's all the cylindrical nature. And I think honestly, I think it's going to turn back around. And I think people are going to start embracing that more slow down, being like, oh, like we want to appreciate slower things. We want to like actually absorb the world we're in, not just like now, 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 now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm an old man at this point, so who knows? I'm just going to be shaking my cane at the kids. And... Do you have young people involved in your projects? Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's great. I I always try and like I came from that world where I was always the first person to any situation. I met somebody that knew more than I did. I was like, "Will you mentor me? Will you teach me things? Will you give me any information you have?" And most people were very generous about it. But, you know, now that I've gotten to this point where I've kind of, I pretend to know what I'm doing most of the time. I'm like, I want to give that to the next generation. Like, we have a whole, like, uh, whole production department that we're trying to bring in, like, five or six young people from the different schools and high schools and universities just to be like, here's an opportunity that we would have killed for at your age. So we would love to offer this to you so that we can like kind of instill good practices and realities to these kids as young as possible that want to do what we want to do. And if we could be like good role models for them, like that would be incredible in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And are you finding they're receptive or are you just getting like, we're, 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 we're mostly just getting started with it, but mm-hmm. I have a good feeling that with the amount of like, because we're, we're really close still with all of our old professors and a lot of the community there that we're going to have a lot of really good receptive, you know, younger people that want to be a part of this. So. Oh, cool. That's because that's um, like particularly with reading. Kids don't read anymore. Yeah. So if they don't read, they're not going to write. And that's where art dies, and that's where I think art and civilization are hand in hand. If we don't have the questioners, you know, the creative minds, the what ifs, then that's where you die as a society. You may as well not exist. I mean, there's a reason humans are built the way they're built. That's why we have this eternal curiosity. But it seems to be lately just getting suppressed, and people are devolving rather than progressing, and it's kind of sad. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's really interesting because I feel like as far as we go with technology, that it's always at the expense of art, it seems like. And so I'm really curious to see with technology and AI becoming so prevalent, if you're going to have the artists start to really push back and be like, 
cool, we see what AI can do for us. Let us show you what we can do as humans. Yeah, I think that's um, it's funny because uh, I don't like bringing in the current world, but you have to talk about the writer's strike in Hollywood. Yep. <laughs> and their biggest bugbear is don't bring AI because basically people can't tell the difference between AI and a Hollywood writer. And you've got to ask yourself, why not? Is it because yeah. you're maybe shit? <laughs> Exactly. I did, you know, I, is there a reason why, like, the basic AI of today can do a better job than you? You know, is that not a, an indication of maybe up your game? Yeah. Because right. competition is good. You need more. I always say we need more creators, not less. And the more people out there, the more you can lift and get inspired from. Like, I still, I see people, like, do interviews and I look at their, their methodology and I look um what they're doing. I'm always, like, looking to improve my game. I see people do podcasts and... Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, how can I raise my game? But I don't want to be like that, you know, and it's all about taking inspiration. But if there's less people, you wouldn't get that variety. Speak to creators like yourself. It's always like, okay, well, what's your inspiration? Can I take something from that? You know, I get something well, personally out of doing these interviews. It's not just that that's yap for the sake yeah, of sure. space. I'd be bored. Um, I always say I'd never talk to pop stars or any celebrities because they've nothing in common with me. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like I want to ask that I want to hear from them or sports stars, you know, what they want to talk to them about. You know, well, you know that, I would get that's also, you know, that's also putting people into a box that we might not know. Like, mm. you know, I remember listening to an interview with Jordan Peele talking about before he made Get Out, and he's like, nobody wanted to give me a shot as a horror director because I was the comedy guy. And he's like, that's all they thought I could do. And he's like, but I have been obsessed with horror longer than I have ever thought about comedy. It's like, you never know when it's like, maybe a pop star is really into horror and we just don't know it because but they don't, don't give get any indication. I mean, because they're so bland and mm-hmm. you don't get, a, get an idea. Jordan Peele sadly jumped on the, the woke bandwagon and he decided to be a race baiter. So he turned me off. Yeah. Because like, he'd come off with these idiotic saying, okay, well, if you want to exclude me, fine. I won't support your work anymore. You know, that was it. I enjoyed Get Out. Mm-hmm. And I always compare, everyone talks about the race and stuff, but um, I don't even remember uh, Heart Condition with Bob Hoskins and Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a perfect example of a, a racist being portrayed in a, a horror movie. Yeah. And Denzel Washington playing the, the deceased. And that reaction, you know, it's basically about, uh, without spoilers, you know, the premise of the story is this racist cop get you know gets a heart transplant from a recent deceased black man, and because he's racist, it absolutely disgusts him. <laughs> the fact that it's happened in the whole story, the fact that he's connected, you know, back to that, like Frankenstein's monster, the parts of the body are still alive and have spirit. So the ghost attacks themselves to Bob Hoskins, and it's, it becomes like 48 hours, but it's um, more in it. But that has more nuance. Yeah. And if you want to talk about the message, as opposed to Jordan Peele, you know, and Get Out, I didn't see it as a racist movie. I just saw it as a great horror movie. Mm-hmm. But then the crappy produced afterwards, and then this shitty spew just put me off him completely. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, why'd you do that? Yeah. But because you thought your peers, that's what they wanted to hear, and that's the danger, isn't it? When you, you get those sick of fans around you, and you think, oh, I must say these words, because that's what I think people want to hear. Well, guess what? You lose your core audience. Yeah. We didn't yeah. care about who or what you are. It's about, is the love there? To making a movie, back to the uh, thing at the start. Once you become that corporatized, you know, it becomes so obvious then you lose people. Yeah, exactly. No, and that's the one. How do you not become that? That's 
my eternal question to people. How do you not become like Jordan Peele? Who just became a meme. You know, he just started spewing all the crap that everyone else is spewing and he forgot his fandom. Uh, I don't know. I think it's they, they start backing up that money truck and a lot of things probably start changing for you. Yeah. So how do you, you know, everyone wants to be successful. But is there a point where I have enough? You know, does too much money or too much, you know, too much comfort ruin you? Oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely think that that's the biggest problem is that you know, I would rather live kind of that John Carpenter mentality of like, give me the challenges. Let me figure out smart ways to deal with these problems and be able to just throw money at it. Like, you know, something like Halloween, where it's like they didn't have money. They had one bag of dry leaves and just have to keep raking it up and moving it for whatever shot they were in because they were in the middle of Pasadena. And it's like, yeah, sure. Like, that's a smart, creative outcome. Lit, instead of just being able to be like, all right, we've got $100 million. Just get me the whole street covered in leaves. So anywhere I turn my camera, I don't have to like think about it. Yeah, and that's for uh, necessity is the mother of invention, as I say. But mm -hmm. um, do you need that wee bit of, I don't know, struggle? Oh, um, yeah. Without getting into the trope of the struggling, starving artist, you know, that's you don't need to be that either. And I, I absolutely get bored with people that do that. Yeah. You know, that's. Oh, you're on, right? Okay. You don't have to be that, but yeah, you need a few talent. You need to, like I said, prop, we're, we're a problem solving species. Mm -hmm. That's why we love the match three games, and that's why things like that take off. That's why we love game shows and challenge series. I mean, we're a problem. We love the problem solve. Oh, yeah. But you think as well, because so much stuff's done now and people don't have that, that's why they feel so despondent and that's why they're acting out and so angry. Oh, yeah, I think it's, it would be really fascinating to, like, see, like, take these people and just give them the bare minimum and see what they can come up with and, like, what challenges they can overcome. Because to me, it's the less you have and the more inventive you can be really shows your merits as a creative. Mm -hmm. And then when you do get more, you appreciate it. And oh, yeah, you, you can turn more into it. Um... But that's always the eternal struggle because you're operating with less. Then people think, "Oh, well, it's not a big; it can't be worth much." And then well, it's how do you convince that audience that, "Yeah, I don't have as much, but it doesn't mean it's not worth anything." How do you how do you talk somebody around then to support yeah, an independent movie? And to me, that's the thing: is it's I and I've always told this to my crews and everybody. I'm like, at the end of the day, when somebody sits down, pops on a movie. They're not sitting there thinking about the budget. They're not thinking about who made it. They just want to be entertained. And I'm like, if we have a $500 budget or a $500 million budget, we should have that same mentality of, like, is this movie worth watching? Is this time worth investing? Like, mm -hmm. to me, the biggest commodity we have is time. And it's like, if you're willing to give me your time to watch this thing I made, I want to make sure you are having the best time. And at the end of it, you're not just like, well, that was such a waste. Like, I wish I had not watched that because I could have been doing anything else. I could have been wa washing dishes and it would have been yeah. worth more time to me than this stupid story was. Yeah. And that's people do get actually offended if they waste time now. Yet they're yeah. prepared to sit four hours on a device. Right. Like, like, but read a book. 
watch a movie, read a comic, and say, this must be perfect, or else I, how dare you make me sit yeah. and do this? That's what makes That's me so laugh funny. when people like, like with Oppenheimer coming out, people are like, oh, it's three hours. And like, how much time did you sit on TikTok yesterday? Like, is there really that big of a difference? Yeah, like when I go down a YouTube rabbit hole, oh my God, I'm like, oh, where'd all the time go? Oh my yeah, God, exactly. I, I'm supposed to be working on like projects. Why am I not being productive? And then I feel guilty and I'm like, oh, but yeah, have fun with it. <laughs> um, but what is, um, we just talked about social media. As a horror creator, what has been your experience with social media? Oh, man. You know, honestly, for the most part, it has been so positive. 99% of people are just so kind and so warm and so inviting and loving because it's that that I know most of these people are genre fans. Most of these people appreciate what we're doing, what we're making and wanting to tell these stories. But, you know, it's funny. I made a documentary years ago about tattoo culture in Utah. Mm -hmm. And I had more negative, like things thrown my way on social media from that than I ever have with anything horror based. Where about, without obviously getting exact, where about Utah were you? I was in Salt Lake City. Oh, Salt Lake City itself, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it was just, it was, it was very fascinating because a lot of people were just like, I, I would go and interview people in the community about growing up and like, like being heavily tattooed people in a very religious state and, and feeling like outsiders, and like kind of wearing your outsidership on your skin, as it were. And I had people like at film festivals and online that would come at me and be like, this is disgusting. Why would you like hate the Mormon church this way? Like these people are going to hell because of their choices. And I'm just like, these are some of the nicest people, the least judgmental people. Like, the kindest people I have ever met. And here you are just spitting venom at them because they just want to exist in the same air as you. And it's so funny because then like I started focusing on horror more and people are just like, this is so great. You ripped this person's heads off and, oh, you just murdered this baby. It's like, oh, that's so much fun. Like, I love the horror community. <laughs> but it's not um, able to suspend disbelief. Yeah. Um, but also, um, actually, it's a question I'm going to bring up in another one, but sort of touch it here. What has been done in a horror movie, kill-wise, that hasn't been done in an action movie? Oh, boy. Decapitations. Yeah. Um, fed through a wood chipper or rotor blades I, of a helicopter. I was, I was about to Falling say, from like a tall building. Chickers. Been set in fire. Like, what has actually been done in a horror movie that's so egregious. Yeah, I don't, I, like, I, I don't know. I can't think of anything at this point. I don't believe there is. I don't believe there's no. anything that's been done in a horror movie, uh, you know, violence-wise, that hasn't already. Like, people getting shot 20, 30 times. Yeah. No, you that's know, the stuff that, that makes me laugh so much about genre differentiation is... You know, we'll go see a movie like Die Hard where it's like, oh, we'll shoot everybody in the building. We'll throw a guy off the roof and people are just you know, like, oh, A guy barefoot will crawl, walk across broken glass. 
Yeah, that's that's all fine. Oh, but, watch oh. Yeah, we we put a ghost in there, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is disgusting. <laughs> what? Exactly, that's my point. I don't get it. I don't know. The people just I wish I had the answers. Does it make them feel better about their lives if they have something to hate on or look down upon? You know, it feels that way. It feels like people just want to be able to complain about something because it makes them feel better about themselves for some reason. I I can't explain it, but no, it's it's all very very strange. But that's what we're trying. To, I'm always trying to challenge that perception. I want to bring new fans into the genre. Yeah, especially as um, other things are just not even trying anymore, and they're just producing absolute crap there's still a vibrant uh group of creators and there's new creators every day in the horror genre doing it for the love of it people like yourself and i want to introduce people to that that's the whole point of this channel yeah no it's great like and that's the thing is it's so funny because i've got a lot of friends who are just like oh i don't watch horror it's too scary it's too this that and the other. like my wife hates horror movies but I introduced her to Sleepaway Camp, and now she's watched it a dozen times. She's like, I thought horror movies were all scary. I'm like, oh, horror movies go from the most scary you've ever seen to the silliest and most fun you've ever seen. Like, I did a couple of weeks ago. We did a whole deep dive on the house series. Nice. I had a whole panel involved. And it was, it was in a three-hour flipping podcast, you know, just riffing on each of the four movies. And the first one, yeah, was scary. You know, for both but uh -huh. the rest were just farcical. And oh, yeah, just... they're just pure comedy. Yeah. And uh, there's an example, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. You know, that's my ultimate favorite horror movie. Oh, one of my favorites, yeah. Absolutely. Don't ever remake or touch that. I'll, I'll come for you, I swear. <laughs> I'll, I'll become a bad person. I'll come after you as you even think about it. That movie should never be touched. Uh, that was one of those where I saw it as a kid, and I thought it was like a fever dream because you couldn't get it for the longest time. And now that like it's everywhere, there's Funko Pops and props. I'm like, thank you. I'm glad this movie is finally like getting the recognition it deserves as being a masterpiece. Yeah, and that's that's the horror genre. It goes from one to the other. And if you want psychological horror thrillers, there are tons of them out there. Yeah. You want supernatural monsters, you know, fine. You want your person in a mask going around with blunt objects, you've got that too, you know, just encompasses everything that's i have found myself more fulfilled not leaving the horror genre you know because i'm i do reviews obviously during mm -hmm. the week and that and i don't feel i'm missing out yeah what not watching things that aren't horror and that's a strange thing to say because if i was to watch sci-fi all the time I, my, my brain would be dead it'd just be right really. or if i was to watch action movies all the time oh my god i just i, I can't even sit through an action movie now it's just what? so Dull. And that's that's what I've always loved about horror is I'm like horror is the only genre that in one movie it can be a comedy, it can be a drama, it can be a romance, it can be an action movie, it can be a sci-fi. Like all of these things can happen in one film, and it's still just a horror movie. Uh so we've talked about the self-doubt, not just the last couple of questions to wrap up. Um I mean, you're talking about that just not being able to carry on. How do you pick yourself up and keep going when you get the you get that feeling of I'm not good enough, or I'm going nowhere with this project, or I'm not getting ahead at all? How do you when you hit the wall and you're like, ah, 
can't do this. How do you pick yourself up and keep going? You know, it's interesting because I find that I've hit the wall on a daily basis. <laughs> every day, when, especially when you're doing a big project, it feels like every single day some hurdle will get placed in front of you and you are like, I can't keep going. I'm so absolutely exhausted. I have tried everything. I'm ripping my hair out. And for me, it comes down to two things. It comes down to just that sheer, I can't do anything else. Like I have tried every job under the sun at some point in my life. And the only thing I am good at and love is storytelling and movie making. So there's that part of me that's just like, I have to do this. I don't have a choice. So I just have to push through. But the much bigger thing is the people you surround yourself with. Because at my lowest moments, my wonderful wife, Julie, will be the first person to be like, it's hard. You knew it was hard, but you've got this. And you've got all these people that believe in you, all these people that trust you and believe in this script and believe in this movie and believe in all the movies you've done. You've got so many people looking up to you and looking for the right way. And like, yeah, it's hard, but you've got this. And all you can do is just keep pushing on and pushing forward. And, you know, it's every time she says, I believe in you, I'm like, I can do this. Like nothing can stand in my way because she's right there and believes in me. Fantastic. Um, What would you say to somebody who, it doesn't matter what stage of life or age you are, they want to create, but they're afraid to. They feel it all as, you know, it's impossible. Oh, yeah. What would you say to someone who is maybe feeling like out there, the encouraging to start creating? You know, I, I um, like I said before, I'm afraid of everything. Like, I am so terrified of everything in this world. And I always feel like the biggest thing that we're afraid of is failing. But the thing is, is once you fail at anything, you realize that's the worst thing that's going to happen is you failed. It's like, I, I can't paint to save my life. It doesn't mean I haven't tried. And I've tried a bunch of times. I'm like, I'm not good at this. And I'm fine with that because now I know the worst thing that's going to happen if I try and paint a picture is it's not going to look like what I think it should look like. And I go, cool. If I have passion, I'm going to keep pushing forward and try harder and eventually get better at it. But, you know, to me, it's don't be afraid of the what ifs because you never actually know what's hiding behind the door until you open it. And we can be so afraid of failing or letting ourselves down or letting other people down. But 99% of the time, it's that letting ourselves down is what we're really afraid of. And you're never going to learn anything unless you fail. So to me, it's get out there, try, fail, stand back up, fail again. And eventually, like, you're going to be able to run. But it, you have to start learning to crawl and then walk before you can run. And if you just start running, you're going to fail. So, you know, if you're afraid to try something, as long as it's not going to, like, hurt yourself or anyone else, just do it. Because mm -hmm. the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to fail at it. And then you're going to learn, and then you can try again. I think we'll learn as much from our failings as our successes. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I I always tell people, I'm like, you will learn a thousand times more from failing at something than you ever will at succeeding from something. And I think that's where we see this sort of mediocrity. People had it stuff. It's too easy for them. Yeah. So they don't try. And then it comes across. So finally, most important question. What's next down the pipeline for you? What's what's uh, in the future coming out? Obviously, in the path of shadows is is the next thing. Like we're we're going into production. Actually, <laughs> a month from today we start shooting. So one month from today we'll be shooting that, and then hopefully by the end of the year we'll have something a teaser trailer or something to start showing to people. But. You know, early next year, we're trying to have it all wrapped up and finished for people to start watching. But after that, um, I've got a another script written that we're uh, kind of starting pre-production on that is, it's, it's super hard to <laughs> explain in a very simple, condensed way, but it's it's an idea of understanding our like what what we can believe with our eyes as opposed to our gut and if we're put in a really strange situation where people are telling us one thing but we're seeing another thing which one should we actually believe ah alter reality sort of horror yeah yeah Yeah. kind of kind of playing around with like demons and devils and things like that love love that (laughs) i mean it's like uh okay are they really having a meltdown or is there something there and that's oh that's a that's a hard one to produce because you can either leave it too late yeah you make it too obvious uh everybody that's read the script so far has been like i did not see any of these twists and turns coming so hopefully that'll stay by the time we're shooting that one Oh, fantastic. Well, Taylor, thank you very much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah. Talking to you and uh, hearing what's going on. Obviously, wish you all the best and uh, be looking forward to the Path of Shadows and obviously keep us up to date. And, uh, we'll oh, I definitely will. Once it happens. Um, as usual, folks, uh, links in the description. Check Taylor's work out. And if you're able to, please support his projects. Every bit, you mightn't think it's much, but every bit helps get these uh, projects out in the air. Why waste your time on somebody that doesn't care about you than give time to an actual creative who enjoys the genre rather than just being a cash cow? Just putting it out there. But as always, we have a super busy month with flipping August. It's a slam of folks coming on. So keep up with the, the channel. Do the typey clicky things. And until next time, keep it creepy. Keep it horrific. <laughs>